frequency to worship God? Listen to me. Don't think you're tired. Oh, well, we worship already. We got to. You do realize what an opportunity this is? Amen. We're not watching it on TV. It's right in front of your face. Amen. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Hallelujah. One.
Thanksgiving, Lord, for you are good, and your mercy endures forever and ever and ever. Hallelujah. Yes, Lord. Come on and just bless him.
Spirit of the Lord is upon me. I will dance like David did. When the Spirit of the Lord is upon me, I will dance like David did. Here we go, now you ready? 
You just got to bust loose. <laughs> Hallelujah. Let's just thank our God and we give Him praise. He don't care. He dances more than all of you. Hallelujah. Robin pointed out to me one time, she said, you know, it's going to take seven years at the marriage supper because the Father has to dance with the bride. Every one of us. Hallelujah. <laughs> oh, Lord, you are welcome in this place. You are welcome here, Lord, to do and say anything you want to. Lord, we welcome you not just in visitation, but in habitation. And I give you praise and honor. Glory for it all, Lord. Lord, you know the things we need to hear, the things we need to see. So I ask you to show them to us today. Only you can. I give you praise and honor for it. Jesus. Amen. Hallelujah. Tell four, five, eight, twenty-eight people how good it is to see them back here this evening. such an honor to get to be with. This is the last session of the meeting, isn't it? 
Yeah, tomorrow's regular church. Uh, yeah, well, that's good. That's a good thing. So, um, how, where are you from? Who's all here from different places? Uh, somebody yell out a state. Yeah. Fernetta, Maryland, Union. That's what I just heard. <laughs> One at a time. Virginia. Maryland, Vermont, Maine, Massachusetts, New York. Are they from the state or city? Amen. State. Connecticut. New Jersey. Florida. Hallelujah. We're headed to... Delaware, we are, we are uh, Alabama, <laughs> hallelujah, you know I was, uh, I was in Missouri one time and, and uh, Robin and I, we were singing up there and uh, it was one of the first times I had ever, before I was eight years old, I, I had traveled to about over 30 states, you know, and, but when I was, I hadn't been, then I was grounded in, in one state till years later, <laughs> and then Robin and I started traveling, and, um, but we went to Missouri, and somehow or another, I don't know what I was expecting, I used to joke around and said I thought people in Missouri sounded like John Wayne, you know, they should have sounded like John Wayne, you know, and, <laughs> You know, what you doing, Pilgrim, you know, something. I, I just thought, you know, because it's out west. and So we got out there, and we were singing on a uh, southern gospel program. And uh, I went back to get some coffee at the, the thing. <laughs> and I walked back there, and I said, I need a cup of, two cups of coffee or something like that. She said, where are you from? That's what she said. She said, where are you from, Georgia? And I said, no, ma'am. I said, I'm from Alabama. She said, I knew it. I knew that. It's a true story. She said, I knew it. I knew it. She said, that southern draw. I said, you know, I said, it's something that y'all don't sound funny to us. She leaned over that counter kind of like this and looked at me and said, that's because we're normal. Now, she did. She honestly did. But see, southern people think fast, flat-footed. And so I, we may talk slow, but that's about it. And I, I, I looked at her and I said, yeah, but our kids are smarter than yours. And she, said, she said, how you figure that? I said, well, because we learn to talk one way and spell another. <laughs> I said, you know, we say pen. We put a pig in it. We write with it. It's all P-I-N to us. And I said, ten, ten fingers, ten on the roof. It's all T-I and uh. She's looking at me by the time she knew I was kidding around. And then I looked at her and said, ma'am, if you want to know how smart we are, where I come from. I said, next time they send a shuttle off to outer space, I said, I want you to listen to the accent on the other end of that line. It sounds like this. Houston, we have a countdown. Ten, nine. 
I said, they know who to call when they need to do something important. <laughs> she said, here's your coffee. Yeah, we had a good time out of it. You know, it was just, just all fun. And... But I want to tell you something. It's been a pleasure and a, and a joy to be here with you. It really has. And to be around God's Word is the greatest thing in existence. This book is second to none. There's nothing will do what this book will do. This is the book. It's God in written form. And you know, thinking about it, I wrote down a couple of notes here to talk to you about. But standing here, I think we, we should look at the book a minute. Because it has all your answers. It's not just part of the answer. The Word of God is the answer to every problem. Everything you'll ever ask is in that book. Now, let me, let me show you by the Holy Ghost some things here. Now, Lord, give us eyes to see and ears to hear that we can learn Your Word together as a family. I give You praise and honor and glory for it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Now, Isaiah 46.10 declares this. It says that God declares the end from the beginning. And from ancient times, the things that haven't happened yet. Now, in Ecclesiastes chapter 1, it says that uh, He requires that which is past. What has been will be again. And God requires that which is past. Now, when you start to look at that and you start to thinking about it, See, a warrior, and that's what I am as a warrior. I'm a warrior. And, and we think about things in different ways than a lot of people do. And when you start to look at Scripture like that, then I want you to stop and think about this now. That if God declares the end from the beginning, from ancient times, the things that haven't happened yet, and I... I I heard a warrior first point this out. So I'm going to share it with you. If you... Genesis means beginning. That's what it means. The book of beginnings. So if you take it literally, God declares the end from the beginning. And from the ancient times, things that haven't happened yet. Then you ought to be able to read Genesis backward. And be reading Revelation forward. Because he declares the end from the beginning. And the Bible is going, the last two books of the Bible are going like this. And they go back, if you go forward in Revelation, backward in Genesis, they'll meet right here. Now, it's like this, okay? What happens, what happens on the next, next thing in life as a, as a believer? Okay, the, the day is going to come when the church age will end. And when the church age ends, that would be the end of an age. When that happens, the next thing happens, we step forward and there will be a catching away. Then the next thing that happens after that, after the catching away, there will be a tribulation period. Those with a mark and those without one. The next thing that happens after that is the end of the tribulation period. Then the next thing that happens after that is the thousand year millennial reign. Jesus rules and reigns for a thousand years. 
The next thing that happens after that is Satan is loose for a little season on the earth again to tempt the nations. And then what happens at the end of that is he's thrown into the lake of fire where the beast and the false prophet are. And the whole thing is given back to God. And the Bible says he will be all in all. That's going forward. Now, we should be able to read Genesis backward and find every one of those things. But first thing you have to do is locate the end of an age. That is in Genesis 7. The end of an age, the only end we know of of an age is in Genesis chapter 7. Now listen to this close and, and we're, we're headed somewhere. Look at your neighbor and say, he's going somewhere. And the Lord said unto Noah, come thou and all thy house into the ark. For thee have I seen righteous before me in this generation. Verse 16. And they went in, male and female of all flesh, as God had commanded him. And the Lord shut him in. And the flood was on the earth. That's the end of an age. Now, if we back up to Genesis 5, we see this. Verse 24. And Enoch walked with God. And he was not. For God took him. And the scripture says in the New Testament he was translated. So now we have the end of an age. We back up to Genesis 5. We have a translation. After that we back up to Genesis 4. And we find a man with a mark killing his brother without one. You back up to the, uh, Genesis 3.15 and you find the end of the tribulation period where the seed of the woman is crushing the head of the enemy and the enemy's head's crushing his, uh, bruising his heel. Stopping it. Then the next thing, you keep on going back in Genesis and you find Genesis 2 where the whole earth is put back in perfect order. That's the millennial reign. And then you go back to Genesis chapter 1 and you find this. Watch now. Genesis chapter 1, verse 2, And the earth was without form and void, and darkness was upon the face of the deep. The enemy's loose for a little season, and chaos starts. At the end of that, he's cast into the lake of fire. God is all in all. Genesis 1-1, in the beginning, God. I mean, have you saw that? So you went backward and you read the history going forward. Did you know that you can take in Genesis and you get in chapter 2 and when it says this, it starts talking about the rivers and, and, and there was four rivers and, you know, Gihon, Pison and all that. And you start reading about the, the words Hedekel, Euphrates and all that through their gold. And if you take all those words in Hebrew and you begin to define them in Hebrew and then you read them out, it literally says this. And when the gushing forth, when gushing forth, the springing forth happens, talking about time, the end of time. When that time comes, it says there will be a powerful son of Cushi arise, a black man having great power. That was Barack Obama. Now we start looking at things like that. And we start seeing how these things are in the Word. Well, several years ago, a good many now, I think in the 60s, it became known to the modern world. 
And there was a man who was messing around with the Torah, the first five books of Moses, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. And he put them in his computer. And he started doing in his computer what rabbis had been doing for thousands of years. He would take in, in, in his computer... And you remember I told you how Hebrew is written from right to left. No, no vowels, even though the sounds are there. And so he, he would set his computer to start scanning letters. And he would take like 50, the number 50. And he would just start at one in the beginning. And he would go across, drop the 50th letter down. Drop the next 50th letter down. Just skipping every 50 letters. And he was just watching. And then all at once he noticed when he got to Genesis 2, it started spelling out the names of trees. And so then it wasn't just trees. It was 15 different kinds of trees. Skipping numbers. Just letting it skip. And so then he got on over and they started doing this and they began to notice a pattern was developing. So then they got on over into Genesis 6 and the flood. When they got to Genesis 6, it dropped out these words. Death. Death camp, bloodthirsty, Holocaust, Hitler. And it started dropping out. Then after that, world monarchs in the order they ruled in started falling out of the Scripture. Using different skip sequence numbers in the Scripture. Now they would only use numbers that meant something to the Jews. Number 50, Jubilee. Number 30, priesthood. Uh, 10, uh, the law. So forth. All these things. And so 40, testing. Things like that. That meant something to them. So they got on over into the book of Esther. And they started skipping these letters. And it dropped out May 10th, 1944. They said, what in the world happened May 10th, 1944? Well, on that day, 10 Nazis were hung for war crimes against the Jews. Trying to annihilate them. The book of Esther is about ten people who were hung for trying to annihilate the Jews. And so they began to notice that things were more and more and more. There couldn't be a coincidence. There's no such thing as a coincidence. And so they, then they started skipping different sequences. And it dropped out uh, uh, Oklahoma, Mura, McVeigh. And started dropping the names and the world events out. And world monarchs' names were showing up in the order they ruled. So then they were messing around with it and found that it dropped out of the Bible. And it said that uh, Arafat shakes the hand of Rabin. And so nobody could, you know, figure that out. But I saw that on television when it happened. Bill Clinton, I think it was Bill Clinton, standing there, and Yasser Arafat and Yitzhak Rabin was there, and they were going to have peace in the Mideast. And he reached over and stuck his hand out to shake Rabin's hand, and Rabin would not shake his hand. And Arafat reached over and got it and pulled it up and shook it, and the Scripture said, Arafat shakes the hand of Rabin. I think it was Michael Drosnan that took, and he, he caught hold of these skip sequences like this, and he wasn't even a believer. He didn't claim to be anything. I think that was his name. And he was on an airplane, I think it was, and he was just messing around with it. The age of computer, it's easy. The rabbis used to do it by hand. So in the age of, of computers, you know, it's pretty easy. So he was searching it out, and it said, 
uh, Rabin told where he would go and said he would be assassinated. So he called into the Knesset. He knew some people there in Israel. He told them, he said, I don't know if this means anything, but I found it in the scripture. And this is the way I found it. And it says this and Rabin is scheduled to go. So I thought you might want to know. So they said, thank you so much. They stopped him from going. He rescheduled a week later. He went over there and was assassinated. This bothered him. And he went back to where he found it. And if he had went just a little further, it said Rabin would be assassinated. He would delay one week. Now, this is the Bible that you're looking at right now. This is the scripture. This is what it is. It's not just a book of words. It's God in written form. It tells its own story three different times in the Scripture. There's three levels at least to it. And so when you start to understand that, you know that you're holding a supernatural book in your hand. You know you've got something in your hand that no, that no other book will do this. Hallelujah. They were skipping around on some of these sequences. And see, you can go this way. This way, diagonally, and all kinds of ways. And they call it now the Bible codes. And they've tried to do it with other books, and it just won't work. But it works with this one. They found a 20th century policeman who was missing. They found his body because the Scripture told where he was and what happened. They went over there and found him. They put in some rabbis' names, put in like 30s. Two, I think, rabbis and put their names just in it and just let the computer scan it randomly just to see if it could find one of them. It found 32 of them, their addresses and, and a lot of things about them. Now, this is very important for what I'm going to tell you, because all of this is in the scripture and you brought that book in here with you tonight. And so you're carrying a piece of heaven in your hands. So, if Hitler's name is in there, Rabin's name is in there, all the world monarchs' names, the 32 rabbis' names are in there. Every name they ever put in, they find. So, I, I, was, I remember I was preaching down in Tuscaloosa, Alabama. That's down there close to the, well, it's close to Tuscaloosa, down close to the University of Alabama. And I was down there preaching at this pastor's house. Well, back in those days, he didn't have an office. So I got, he let me go in his bedroom to study. And I closed the door. Well, he didn't have a desk. So I pulled a clothes hamper up next to me. And do y'all remember water beds? Does anybody remember them? You know, they had a heater on them. You could turn the heat up or down. Me and Robin were staying at a pastor friend of ours house one night. And we were in there. And we were, we were spending the night at their house. You know, we preached together a lot, me and him. And so we was over at their house and they gave us their room. And they had this water bed. So we're laying there. And their little son, who's about this tall then, he got concerned we was going to get cold. So he crawled in the room that night. And turn the bed up to 90. 
Man, the middle of the night, we come awake to Boyle Robbins. I mean, now, listen, listen, we were, we were roasting in there. <laughs> and so, it's a true story. And so, anyway, this pastor had a waterbed. This is another pastor now, but they both had them. I don't know if they talked. I don't know what they did. But they were friends. So I went in there and I sat out on the bed. Well, it wasn't full. And when I sat down, I sat down. I mean, and my knees came up around my ears. And I had this clothes hamper up next to me. And I had my Bible laid on it. I can see it like it was yesterday. And I'm trying to study. Well, I ain't going nowhere. <laughs> you know. I'm studying. And, I'm th- and, and the Lord asked me a question. Now, I, I want to encourage you about something. If the Lord ever asks you, do you know? Don't say yes. Because He wouldn't have asked you. But I said yes. He said, do you know what the Lamb's book of life is? I said, yes. And this is just what he said to me. Really? I said, yes. I said, Lord, I know what it is. I grew up in the Missionary Baptist Church, see. I knew what it was. It was a big book, huge book, that an angel would stand over there to the side. I had read all the Jack Chick tracks, and I knew... Standing over, and I thank God for Jack Chick now. But I, I knew that this big book, there was Jesus on the throne. Remember, he had no face and no hair. Y'all remember that in those tracks? And this big angel stood over there to the side. And this naked man stood in front of him. And Jesus said, is his name in the book? And that big angel would open that big book and say, no, sir, it does not appear. Or, yes, sir, it does appear. I said, that's what that is. And the Lord said this to me. He said, well, he said, isn't it very unfair that I require you to live out of one book and judge you out of a book you've never even seen? Then he started running over these Bible codes with me. All these names are in the Scripture. Every single name they ever put in is in it. World events is in it. Everything's in it. All of it's in it. He said, Son, what is the Lamb's book of life? I said, It's the Lamb's book of life, Lord. The book about the Lamb. He said, Yes. It's the book about the Lamb. It's the book that tells about the Lamb's life. It's the book that tells about the Zoe life of the Lamb. He said, the Lamb's book of life is the one you've got in your hand right there. He said, their name is in it. Your name is in it. Everybody's name is in it. It's all in here. And he said, you just don't know where it's located. That's the Lamb's book. I said, Lord. Because, you know, here's the thing. You think your name is written in the Lamb's book when you get born again. There's nothing in the Scripture that says that. But there is something in the Scripture that says your name can be blotted out. 
If your name wasn't in there already, then every little baby that died would have never made it to heaven. Because your name has to appear. But once you're, you're there and you decide never to make Jesus the Lord of your life and never make Him the Lamb, your Lord, in your life, then your name is blotted out. The authority to use that book is gone from you. And when the role is, is called up yonder and you're not there to answer, Are you listening to me? And you don't receive Jesus as Lord. Then your, your authority in here is gone. So the Lamb's book. Then you start reading about in Revelation. It says, and the books were opened and another book was opened. So then the books are scrolls of your life. Everyone has one. Everyone has one. Jesus said, the day of judgment, you'll give an account thereof. An account is a logos. It means a written account is written. Because you're a king. And your words and your actions must be chronicled. So that when your time passes here, and something was done or not done, it can be looked back upon and said... Who was king at that time? Who was responsible for this? That's why you read about the chronicles of the king. And you notice you'd be in the Old Testament. And it'll say things like this. Is, uh, the, the chronicles of this king, was it not recorded in the book of? It has to be recorded. And so this book you've got in your hand is that supernatural. And I want you to know that before we learn anything else about it. This is what it is. It's God in written form. Amen. Amen. Now, how many of you learned something just now? Okay. All right. Now, I'm going to finish up something now. All right? Okay. Now, we are in Genesis. We've been in Genesis a lot lately. So... Who can tell me what we, the Lord gave us at the first session? Simple things are. I believe y'all, I, I, I heard all kinds. Y'all wasn't on time, but I, y'all said it. <laughs> now, that was very good. Now, we get over. And in the genealogy of in Genesis 5, when it talks about the genealogy of Adam, Adam, it says, And Adam begot Seth, and Seth begot Enos, and Enos begot Cainan, and on and on, Mahalalel, and on it goes till it gets to Noah. If you take all of those names in the genealogy, and they're all Hebrew names. And you put them in Hebrew and just define them and read them. Then you'll find this out. This is the synopsis of the names. It says, For man will come a substituted mortal. 
The great God will come down out of heaven teaching, and at his death will bring the despairing rest. That's the genealogy from Adam to Noah. Well, you probably knew that. But, I, but if you didn't, that's, that's something to know. Now, the New Testament says that God declared the gospel, preached the gospel aforetime to Abram, Abraham. That's the gospel he preached. All those Old Testament saints knew that genealogy and they knew what it said. They read it different than you and I read it in the West. It's an Eastern book and we're trying to read it with a Western mind. And it don't work like that. Because it's all based on covenant. And it's all based on tribal covenants. And what he was talking about is he preached the gospel to him. And they knew that one day for man would come a substituted mortal. The great God would come down out of heaven teaching. And at his death would bring the despairing rest. And rest is Noah. And so when you, you know this, this is how Abraham knew the gospel. Now when Abraham, watch now, when Noah came off the boat... There was Shem, Ham, and Japheth. Right? When, the, when they begin to multiply on the face of the earth, Shem opened up a, a, what we would call a Bible college. He opened a Bible college in what we now know as East Jerusalem. And it was called the Academy of Shem. It grew so big. Now, what did Shem teach? He taught the blessing of the Lord, the one that was given to Adam. Then it was given to Noah, the same blessing, all but the, with the exception of eating animals. That was added to Noah. But it was given to Adam, and then it was given to Noah after the flood. Almost the exact same blessing. Blessing don't mean sneeze and bless your heart. Blessing means the empowerment of heaven to do anything possible or impossible. It means the greatest gift God could give you is the blessing of the Lord. And it makes you rich. And he adds no sorrow to that. And so this is the blessing of the Lord. Now watch now. Everybody understood this blessing. And so when it comes, Shem opened this academy up. And according to the Jews, Shem, it grew so big that it became like a city. And it got so big that they, and he had one star pupil in his academy. His name was Abram. It was Abram. It was his great, great, great grandson. And he knew him and raised him in the faith. And so Shem, the city grew so big, the college grew so big, that they had to make a, a, elect a mayor, appoint a mayor over the city. Well, the mayor obviously would be Shem. But Shem's title became known as Melchizedek. Melchizedek. And it means the Lord and mayor. Over Salim. So now, here uh, uh, he was over Salim. It means Lord and King, the Lord and Mayor. So now Shem is Melchizedek. So if you ever wondered who that is, that's who it is. Shem is Melchizedek. Every rabbi knows that. Now, and here, here is the thing. 
He had one star pupil named Abram, who later became Abraham. So you'll find in Genesis 3, I mean 12, and uh, verses 1, 2, and 3, that the Lord comes to Shem, I mean to Abram. And He says, come out from your father's house. Let's just read that now because we've got to, we've got to tackle this quickly this evening. I don't, I don't want you to just hold you until you can't endure any longer. It says, Now the Lord has said unto Abram, Get thee out of thy country, this is Genesis 12, and from thy kindred and from thy father's house into a land that I will show thee. And I will make of thee a great nation, and I will bless thee. See that? Bless thee. It's talking about that same blessing. And I will bless thee and make thy name great, and thou shalt be a blessing. And I will bless them that bless thee and curse him, him that curseth thee. And in thee shall all the families of the earth be blessed. What he just promised Abram was, I'm going to bring the Messiah through you. That's what he just told him. That's what he understood. So now he's been promised it's coming through him. So now he gets up, he starts to leave his father's house, his father goes with him so far, and then he stops, and Abram keeps moving. So he gets on down, now watch this close. So we come on over here, we're going to try to, to, try to uh, dance through the scripture here just a little bit. We get over here, and Genesis, uh, um, let's see, let's get over here to Genesis 14. Lot has been kidnapped and so forth. He's been taken. You know the story. I'm just dancing through because I've got to get to something. So he gets, Lot is taken, his family's taken, everything. And one escapes and tells Abram, or Abraham is who he's going to be. And he comes and tells Abram, he says, your nephew's been taken. So he takes 318 trained men out of his own house. And Mamre and his brothers. And they go and surround four kingdoms. Four kings who defeated giants in that other war. And yet him and his 318 and Mamre and his brothers slaughtered them. Didn't just take them, slaughtered them. Now watch this. So he goes over, he's coming back. And when he comes back, the king of Sodom comes to meet him. Watch this. So he comes to meet him, verse 17, or verse 16 in Genesis 14. He says, and he brought back all the goods and also brought again his brother Lot, which is his nephew, and his goods and the women also and the people. And the king of Sodom went out to meet him after his return from the slaughter of Ketolaomer and of the kings that were with him in the valley of Sheba, which is the Kingsdale. And Melchizedek, king of Salim, brought forth bread and wine, and he was the priest of the Most High God. And he blessed him. Mm. He gave him the blessing. And said, Blessed be Abram of the Most High God, possessor of heaven and earth. He didn't say God, possessor of heaven and earth. He said, Blessed be Abram of the Most High God, possessor of heaven and earth. Abram is the possessor of heaven and earth here. 
How do you know? Verse 20 says, And blessed be the Most High God, who hath delivered thine enemies into thy hand, and he gave him tithes of all. Should have noticed this. He came to him with a blessing and said, Blessed be Abram of the Most High God, possessor of heaven and earth. Possessor of heaven and earth. He comes to Abram and he gives him a piece of land, not just in the earth, in heaven. He's the only one in the Old Testament that got a deed to a piece of ground in heaven. How do you know? It's called paradise. It's Abraham's bosom, it's called. It was there that he gave him that piece of land. He gave him that piece of land so that all the descendants from him could stay in a place called paradise. And it's all over his covenant. And so he got a piece of heaven and a piece of the earth. When the blessing of the Lord comes on you, it makes you rich. And he adds no sorrow to it. He was the first one to get a piece of ground in heaven. And that is paradise. Oh, we're not there yet. We're just building up a shout. We're headed for a big one. So, he comes over here, watch now. And the king of Sodom came out to meet him. In verse 21, the king of Sodom said unto Abram, Give me the persons and take the goods to thyself. And Abram said to the king of Sodom, I have lift up mine hand unto the Lord, the most high God, the possessor of heaven and earth. That I will not take from a, from, from a thread even to a shoe latchet. And that I will not take anything that is thine, lest thou shouldest say I have made Abram rich. Now we get to Genesis 15. And this is where we jump. After these things, the word of the Lord, after these things, after he got his piece of ground in heaven, after he's got his piece of ground in the earth. So Canaan was given to him. A piece of ground called paradise was given to him. Everything was given to him. Everything is said. And it said, after these things, the word of the Lord came to him in a vision. Are we too tired to hear this, you think? Because it takes a push. The word of the Lord came to him in a vision. How does that work? How does the word of the Lord come in a vision? Now you think on that. How does it come to you in a vision? The same way everything, words come in a vision. If I say horse, you don't see H-O-R-S-E. You see the horse. And I don't know what he looks like in your mind, but if I tell you he's a black horse... Black horse with a white stripe down his nose. And a red saddle on his back. And you're riding him with a horse cart ride hat. You're laughing. It tickled you because you saw it. The word of the horse came to you in a vision. God talks in pictures. We talk in pictures. And so here the word of the Lord came to Abram 
in a vision. Full cinema. And something about it scared him. Now what was it? You have to, you have to think Eastern for a moment. Because he says to him, the word of the Lord came to him in a vision. And then he tells him this. Watch what he tells him. He says, fear not. Abram, I am your shield and your exceeding great reward. And Abram said, Lord God, what wilt thou give me seeing I go childless? Seeing I go childless. And the steward of my, hel- uh, of my house is this Eleazar of Damascus. And Abram said, Behold, to me thou hast given no seed, and lo, one born in mine house is my heir. And behold, the word of the Lord came unto him, saying, This shall not be your heir, but he that shall come forth out of your own bowels shall be thine heir. And he brought him forth abroad and said, Look now toward heaven and tell the stars, if thou be able to number them. And he said unto them, So shall thy seed be. And he believed in the Lord, and he counted it to him for righteousness. Now, what did he see in the word of the Lord in a vision? He saw the word of the Lord in a vision. The great God will come down out of heaven teaching. He saw the word of the Lord in a vision. And what he saw was the death, burial, and resurrection of God's Son. And it scared him because in a covenant relationship... If I give you something, you have to be required to give me the same thing back. And it scared Abram because he said, I don't have a son. What will you give me? Seeing I go childless. I don't have one to give you back, Lord. I know. I'll give you Eleazar. Eleazar's eyes would have got big, wouldn't they? He said, I know. I'll give you Eleazar. See, I don't have a child, so he'll inherit everything I've got as my steward in my house, so I'll give you him. And the Lord said, no. He'll come out of your own bowels, out of your own heart. He'll come from your being. This is what he's thinking of. Then he comes down there and said he believed the Lord, and he encountered it to him for righteousness, like he was in right standing. So then he comes here, watch what he says. You've got to see this. He said unto him, I am the Lord that brought thee out of Ur of the Chaldees to give thee this land to inherit it. Now he's saying, I'm going to give you this land to inherit it. To house these children like the stars. And he says, Lord God, whereby shall I know that I shall inherit it? He said unto him, Take me a heifer of three years old, and a she-goat of three years old, and a ram of three years old, and a turtle dove, and a young pigeon. And he took unto him all these, and divided them in the midst, and laid each piece one against another, but the birds divided he not. And when the fowls came down upon the carcasses, Abram drove them away. And when the sun was going down, a deep sleep fell upon Abram, and lo, and horror of great darkness fell upon him. And he said unto Abram, Know of a surety that thy seed. And he starts telling them about the bondage of Egypt. And he tells him all these things. And then he says in verse 17, And it came to pass that when the sun went down, it was dark. Behold, a smoking furnace and a burning lamp passed between those pieces. That's a western mind you're reading it with now. But this is not what it says to him. 
In those days, this is a covenant. Now, this is a covenant to give him the land. This is how he knows he's going to inherit it. He said, take me these animals, a heifer, three years old, split it down the middle. Not cut it up in pieces. He said, divide it from the nose through the tail. Lay one piece on this side and one on this side. They would dig a ditch in the ground about ankle deep. They would stand and lay these animals end to end. And they would stand families on each end. Take off their shoes until they were standing barefoot. And they're standing there looking at each other on each end of this blood, this ditch full of blood. They, they could smell the animals. They could see the dirt. Everything was alive. Their senses were alive. And then they would step down into that blood, that hot, wet blood with no shoes on. And they're standing in blood. And they start swearing oaths to each other. This is the way this covenant would have worked. One would stand behind their family, the family, the other would stand behind them. They would exchange weapons. They would pronounce blessings on each other. Then they would pronounce curses on each other if they ever broke this covenant. And they would say, I'll hunt you down to the fourth generation, my family will, if you ever break this covenant. They would swear it back to them. And if you ever break this covenant, there's something between us now known as bad blood. You ever heard that phrase? Bad blood. And I told you about they would swear to each other, blood is thicker than milk. And so they would never break this covenant. And then they would stop together and walk in the blood together through those pieces of meat between them, swearing to one another their allegiance. So when Abram asked, how do I know I'm going to inherit this land? He said, set up the covenant. Split the animals. And so when he waited all day and the sun started going down, the buzzards would come and try to eat his sacrifice. He'd stay up and drive them off of the carcasses of those animals. Nothing's getting my covenant with God. He said, set it up. And don't you know the devil worked on him uh, all that day, way into the night, saying, you've done this for nothing. You didn't really hear this. It's just sitting out here. There's nobody standing here making covenant with you. But he'd drive them off and drive them off. And then when the sun went down, lo, a horror of great darkness came on him. And when he did, he looked up at that ditch. And there walking in the blood was a smoking furnace and a burning lamp. The Scripture says the Lord is a consuming fire from the loins up and the loins down. And Jesus in St. John 1 is a light. And that light shines into the darkness. And it was God and Jesus walking in the blood together because you could cut it or your substitute could cut it for you. And so they walked in the blood together. And Abram saw them. And since he couldn't walk in it, there was a substitute did. And when they walked in the blood together, this was a covenant to be made between God and His Son. People say, can I break the covenant? No. It wasn't made with you. It was made with Jesus. You can break your fellowship with that covenant, but you can never make that covenant of no effect. 
So now, after this, we skip on over here. So now he's got his promise. We go to Genesis 22. And here's where we bring it to the finish now. At least in this one. And it came to pass after these things. After what? Everything from Genesis 15 to Genesis 22. After these things that God did tempt Abraham. Ham was added to Abram, which was the name of Hashem, the name of God. He's in covenant with God now. And he says, he came and God did tempt. Now that word tempt is not the word tempt like you think. It's the word attempt. It's the word, let's go on an adventure together. And see if we can accomplish this together. What, Abram? Well, you'll see. He said that God did tempt Abram. And he said, Abraham. He said unto him, Abraham. And he said, Behold, here I am. He said, Take now thy son, thine only son, Isaac, whom thou lovest, and get thee into the land of Moriah, and offer him there for a burnt offering upon one of the mountains which I will tell thee of. Notice there's no argument. There's no resistance. He said, take your son, your only son that you love. That ought to absolutely ring every bell in your, in your chime box. Take now your son, your only son. For God so loved the world that He gave His Son, His only begotten Son whom He loved. Now take your only begotten Son that you love and bring Him up here to the land of Moriah. The land of Moriah is not just a mountain. It's a region of mountains. The highest point in the Moriah region is a mountain called Calvary. So He said, now we're going to attempt this. What? What I told you in Genesis 15. We're about to attempt it now. Come on, let's go on this adventure together. Bring your son, your only son whom you love, out here into the Moriah region. Offer him up on one of the mountains I will tell thee of. So Abram got up early in the morning. That's interesting. Early in the morning. Watch what he does. He rose up early in the morning, saddled his ass, and took two of his young men with him. He took two with him. Why? Jesus had two thieves that went with him. So he took two with him. He's trying to act out everything he saw. So he takes, he's in covenant. So he takes two of his young men with him. Tradition says it was Ishmael and Eleazar. Both of them wanted the covenant. Both of them wanted the inheritance. But neither one of them were legal to have it. So it was two thieves. Now, now watch. So, he says, and he took two of his young men with him and Isaac his son... And clave the wood for the burnt offerings, and rose up and went unto the place which God had told him of. 
Then on the third day, then on the third day, Abraham lifted up his eyes and saw the place afar off. That is the Hebrew word hamakom. And it means hamakom, the place, it means that is yet to come or the future. So after three days and nights, he lifted up his eyes and saw into the future. And him and Isaac went on into the future. And Abraham said unto his young men, Abide ye here with the ass and I and the lad. Watch, we'll go yonder and worship and come again. He had already seen the death, burial, and resurrection. He said, we'll go there and we'll come back. And Abraham took the wood, verse 6, of the burnt offering and laid it upon his Isaac, his son. Laid it on him. Jesus carried the cross. The cross beam. And he took the fire in his hand and a knife, and they went both of them together. And Isaac spake unto Abram, his father, Abraham, and said, My father, he said, Here am I, my son. He said, Behold the fire and the wood, but where is the lamb for the burnt offering? And Abraham said, My son, God will provide himself a lamb. And both of them went together. You say... But Jesus was on the cross. Why did he have the knife and the fire? You're about to learn something that you've never seen. This was something that was between God and Abraham that no one else knew. Isaac stopped and asked that question. And he stood and told him what was going to happen. Because Isaac had to be a willing sacrifice. Abraham was a type of God. Isaac's a type of Jesus. And he had to be a willing sacrifice. And contrary to popular belief, Isaac wasn't 10 years old. He was about 35. Probably 33. That was really... That's what young I'm the lad... He's talking about a young man, about 33. And they're in the future. And they've got the knife and the wood. I mean, the knife and the torch. And he tells him something. He said, where's the lamb? God will provide himself a lamb. What did Abraham have in his mind? He's expecting a lamb to show up somewhere. He's expecting it to show up. You'll, you'll get it in a minute. Just watch. And Isaac spake unto Abraham his father, in verse 7, said, My father, he said, Here am I, my son. He said, Behold the fire of the wood, but where is the lamb for a burnt offering? And Abraham said, My son, God will provide himself a lamb for a burnt offering. So they went both of them together. 
Together they agreed on it. Isaac said, yes, I'll do it. And he said in verse 9, And they came to the place which God had told him of. And Abraham built an altar there and laid the wood in order and bound Isaac his son and laid him on the altar up on the wood. And Abraham stretched forth his knife and took the uh, stretched forth his hand and took the knife to slay his son. And the angel of the Lord called unto him out of heaven. There's that angel again. Called unto him out of heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham. He said, Here am I. He said, Lay not your hand upon the lad, neither do thou anything to him. For now I know, not God, the angel. Now the angel has recorded it's legal. It's about, it was, it's happened. You have given God your son. I know that you fear God, seeing you have not withheld thy son, thine only son from me. And Abraham lifted up his eyes, looked, and behold, behind him a ram caught in the thicket by his horns. And Abraham went and took the ram and offered him for, up for a burnt offering instead of his son. He took the ram. Where was the ram? How come it wasn't there a few moments ago? How come he didn't see it when he got to the mountain? It's because he went into Hamakom. He went into the future. And when he did this, what his real faith was, was not to kill his son and see him raised up. The faith of Abraham was to believe God when he saw that in a vision, that before he could get to his son, a substitute would show up on top of that mountain. He had to believe a substitute was coming. And he had to believe it because he saw him walk in the blood. He had to believe it because he saw the death of of God's Son. So he had to believe that. He told Isaac, before this knife could ever get near you, the substitute will show up on that mountain. And when he did, the angel spoke and Abraham lifted up his eyes. And there was a ram caught in a tree. Horns mean power. So he was caught in the future by his own power. And he said, bring that ram over here. They cut, they offered the ram instead of the son. The substitute was there. That's what the knife was for. To kill the ram. And Abram had to believe it would be there. That's why he said, we're going and we're coming back. And so when he, when they offered the ram, he cut the one horn off the ram. That's known as the first trump. He, he cut the other horn off the ram, and that's known as the last trump. That's, that's what they're known. They, they talk about that in Israel. That's what they call that. Watch this now. In verse 14... And Abraham called the name of that place. Listen close. He called the name of the place Jehovah Jireh. Jehovah Jireh. He named the place Jehovah Jireh. The Lord, my provider, was the name of the place. 
Later, they took that name, Jaira, Jaira, and they put it with the name Salim from Melchizedek, where the blessing came. And they called the name of the place Jaira Salim. Jerusalem. And he said, in the mount of the Lord, it, what? God's lamb. That's what he said. He was asked over here, where's the lamb? God will provide himself a lamb. And in Jerusalem, it shall be seen. And that's talking about covenant. And see, what you and I have to believe, if we talk like God talks, which God, He likes to hear Himself talk, because He believes what He says. Men like to hear themselves talk. But when you start saying God's words after Him, then God, all of heaven is at attention. And so you have to believe that the substitute has shown up for you. He has already shown up for you. So when you say, by His stripes, I was healed. That substitute's already bore your sickness and carried your pain. And so now you are acknowledging the fact... Well, it don't look like I'm healed. Yes, but you're in Hamakom when you say that. You understand that? Now you're in the future talk. And you start quoting the Scripture. That it is the, the blessing of the Lord that makes me rich. And He adds no sorrow to it. So I'm going to have provision of prosperity with no sorrow in it. Yeah, but it don't look like I do, but you're in homicone. You're talking about tomorrow. And you've entered into a place that no one could see but you and God. And he told Abraham, he gave him this. He said, look at the stars. He said, if you can number them, so shall your seed be. Then he says this, walk up and to and fro in the land. Go out and go around and walk in the land. He said, whatever you can see, you can have. No, see, that didn't register yet. Because we're not in Hamakom. He said, whatever you can see, you can have. If you can see it, you can have it. It don't make any difference if anybody else can see it or not. As long as you can see it. People in this world choose Sodom. They choose Gomorrah because the plains look rich and it favors Egypt. That's why Lot went there. It favored Egypt. Abraham took the desert. So most people want to take the, the, the one that they can see with their natural eyes and see everything. And Abraham wanted Hamakom. He had Genesis 15. He knew it was coming. He believed God that the blessing was coming through him. He believed it would happen. And he got a piece of heaven. Now he's an owner of the ground in heaven and earth. That's why no one will ever take Israel. 
That's why no one else will ever take it away from the Jews. That's why after 2,000 years it came back. That's why nothing can keep it down. It's because it was promised in the walk in the blood to Abraham. It was promised to him. Well, it wasn't just a walk in the blood that promised him that. But your healing, your prosperity, your family's well-being, all of that was promised to you because you are the seed of Abraham. You are born again, born of the blood of the Lamb. You are part of the promise of God. Somebody ought to shout in the house. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. And that's what I came to tell you tonight. I believe the Lord wanted you to hear that. Yes? Hallelujah. Hallelujah to the Lamb. Now let's thank the Lord. Lord, we thank you. We give you praise and honor and glory for the covenant. We believe you, Lord. Your covenant. And I thank you, Lord, that we are a part of this thing. That we're not just orphans. That we are the body of the very Christ. You are of the God kind. Did you hear what I said to you? Yes, you are. When God created Adam, He wasn't manufacturing a man. He was reproducing Himself. Everything produces after its own kind. You are the God kind. In other words, you're in His family. You can live by every word that comes out of His mouth. You can stand on every promise He's ever made. You can come boldly to the throne of grace where no angel in existence can do that. But you can do that. You know what that really says in translation? It says, come into my throne room, crawl up in my lap, put your hands on the arms of my chair, and lean into my face. That's what you're invited to do. Hallelujah. So, the covenant, I hope you, you leave in this conference thinking about covenant and about the blood. And it's not just blood, it's covenant blood. Hallelujah. That's why the promises over this nation will happen. It will happen. Right now, I don't want to get your Facebook shut down. But right now, I'll talk in code. There is a rightful president. And there is one who is not a rightful president. You can pray for a man named Joe Biden. Yes, and you should. You can pray for the office of the president. 
But you cannot pray for President Joe Biden. You might as well pray for the Easter Bunny. Because they don't exist. I'm just telling you. They just don't exist. And the day will come when all of this... The day will come when all of this will be washed clean. For I will wash the chair of the president as if you throw water into a seat. The day will come when the invader will be pushed away. And I will make it all right again. You say, what is the rightful president's name? You know his name. He's my David. He is my David. You know his name. You know him as D.J. Trump. For the anointing of heaven is upon him to be this. Because he has loved Israel and he has loved my word. The day will come I will make it right and clean. And then we'll turn the page to see what's next to be seen. And on the next page is something that... Yes, Lord. You are in the time of the 22,000 leaving the army of Gideon. You are in that time. And you'll soon approach the time that the 9,700 will leave. And the remnant will remain. And they will win the war. You must stand strong because when the page turns, what's waiting on the next page is nothing like you've ever seen before. And I will need you, says the Lord. Right now you're witnessing a battle. You're witnessing something that's between the Lord and His prophets. And you're watching something take place that's between governments and prophets. And when it's over, you'll be on the other side. And then something else will start. You have Amorites. You have Amalekites. You have all the other ites. And you will have to face them. So stay true in the time. Though the 22,000 leave. That's where you are right now. Is the 22,000 departing. Then you'll see the 9,700 depart. And then the remnant will remain. And then it will build from there. But it'll be a remnant that wins the initial war. And then people will join and grow from there. Hallelujah. Hallelujah.
Hallelujah to the Lamb of God. We esteem the Word of the Lord. Good is the Word of the Lord. Hallelujah. 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 I want you to... uh, I want you to know where you are in the world right this moment before I let you go. You have to realize where you are. You are in the second half of Saul's kingdom in the prophetic scheme of things. The first half of Saul's kingdom was when President Obama was in office. He was anointed to be president. Yes, he was. And he became president. If you'll notice, nobody has a problem saying President Obama, even if they don't like him. And notice the anointing that was on him. He could draw thousands. But notice now he can't draw 200 because that anointing is lifted. When he was president, a prophet anointed him as president. Very, in my opinion, the most powerful prophet we've known. Anointed him as president. When he did, he was elected. Two years into the presidency, Obama threw Israel under the bus immediately. He signed away thousands of babies' lives the first day in office, first week in office. He began to turn on marriage. He turned on everything. Lit up the White House rainbow colors. Turned on everything. When he did, the Lord went to the same prophet and said, he lied to me. Said he promised me if I'd let him be president, he would do these things for me. But he's lied to me. Take him down. So the same prophet came out, told those words, and said, now you are removed from office. Said you're no longer the president. Well, he still had the title, but he couldn't get anything done after that. He just stayed on the golf course and got older. Why? Why? It's not to make fun of him, but the anointing of a president's heavy. And God gives you shoulders and the anointing to make that, that office light. But if you're not anointed to be president, it's heavy. Carrying the weight of a nation. So, four, let's see, four, seven months. I need to check that out. Several months after that, Barack Obama, after the prophet said, you're done, it's over. You're no longer the president. He was addressing a woman's group, a ladies' meeting. Isn't that something? I'm telling that here. And all of a sudden... His presidential seal fell off of his podium. Bounced across the floor seven times. And fell over. And and he did just like this. Uh, Did my... uh, He said, oh, well, you know who I am. It was over. You really... Don't think that wasn't a prophetic sign. 
It was over. So his presidency ended then. But like Saul, he managed to hold the crown. But the same prophet that said, you are removed, then looked at him and said, now I will take it from you and give it to my David. And speaking of Trump, said, I'll give it to my David. Well, at that point, Saul's kingdom became one kingdom for one purpose, to keep the prophecy of Samuel from coming to pass. He could not let David. That was his whole purpose. He didn't get anything else accomplished but try to hunt David down. He started stalking David. But his kingdom ended. And people, would you have dared call Samuel a false prophet? But Samuel said, today it's gone. But he didn't leave office today. But you wouldn't call Samuel a false prophet. Not one word he said ever fell to the ground. So when Obama left office, then David, Trump, came in. He started fulfilling prophecy just like that. When he did, now suddenly there's been a, a theft. Everything has taken place to remove him. They don't want him to have the second Trump. Because after the last Trump, the glory comes. That's why it's fault like it is. So, when Biden became president, his name means two. He became the second half of Saul's kingdom where Saul lost it. The first half, Obama, was the first half of Saul. And now Biden's the second one hunting David. So you need to know where you are in, in history and time. And because prophets say, Biden's not the president. He never will be the president. They try to get me to apologize. Would Samuel have apologized? Neither will Robin. If the Lord told me to do something like that, I would. But He hadn't, so I ain't. Because He's not the President. Nothing He can do will make Him the President. So remember these things. And when this is all over, did you hear the Lord a while ago in that prophecy? He said, I'm going to wash it clean soon. There's about to be a great thing happen in the earth. You watch it and see. Watch what happens. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Father, bless these precious people. Bless their lives, Lord. I have done everything I, that you've told me to do. And I'm, I'm standing to do it, Lord. And Lord God, I speak the blessing of the Lord over them. For those who will receive that. That makes them rich and he adds no sorrow to it. Hallelujah. Now I heard the Lord say he's going to move on somebody 
in somebody's family of somebody named Buddy. Buddy. He's going to move in that area. I don't know if that's his name or that's what he's called. But he's going to move in that area and take care of this and him. The Lord tells me just what I need to know. And so, if that's you, I just take it. I go ahead and take that. Just receive that right now. Hallelujah. If you know Buddy, you ought to say, Buddy, God has spoken and I am receiving. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Somebody's real concerned now in the room about someone in your family who's, who's a bad alcoholic. They drink a lot. The Lord says, don't regard their breath because it'll soon smell different than it does. That's the way I heard it. Take that. If that's you, just take it. If that's somebody in your family you're concerned with. Now, I'm not even asking you to raise your hand or come forward because I know you're here. So just go ahead and receive it. Hallelujah. Let's thank the Lord for these things. Thank the Lord for these things. Hallelujah. Someone knows somebody named Eugene. You don't have to be concerned or whoever that is that you know them. You don't have to be concerned anymore. What? Because whatever this is connected to, they did make it to heaven. Hallelujah. They did make it to heaven. Hallelujah. Isn't that awesome? Hallelujah. How many of you believe God spoke something real in here? Hallelujah. If you'd you'd like to testify just real quickly that the Lord has done something for you here in this conference, make it very brief because there's a lot of people. But I'm going to give it to the pastor and let her... I said, that's my boy. <laughs> He's coming to Lord. I mean, I 
he's in the process of coming. I was praying he was, and you, you verified that. So thank you so much, and praise the Lord for it. Anybody else? Testimony? Testimony? was spinning and just like that it quit. On May on March seventh, I was Karen. I was Karen. The Karen that you weren't sure if it was Karen or some other name. Yes. I was that Karen. It's me. Pardon me? My head my head was spinning. You told me I was gonna be like a boss. My marriage was going to get better. I was going to be a better wife. I have the words with me. What you on March seventh? She heard, you spoke. Was it eleventh hour? No. It, no, I I don't think it was the eleventh hour. I think it was. you think? Yeah, on one, on your program, you gave the word. Yep. Yep. That was my. That was me. Yeah, he got it. Everything that you said, that the Lord said to you to tell me, has come true. Praise God. Praise God. I remember your phone call. You wanted to come when you found out he was here this close because of it wasn't Somebody else called for her, but this was a testimony. Well, thank you for bringing it. <laughs> Amen. Anyone else? All right. Let me get My uncle's name was Eugene, and he was killed in a uh, car accident. Two horses jumped out in front of him, and he was decapitated. And we... Uh, you know, as a family, we didn't know. And so you said that. It, it released that. And my dad, who's turning 89, I can bring this home to him because he needs to hear this. He needs to hear this. Thank you, Lord. And you could show it to him because it's, being, it's recorded. So you could show it to him. Praise God. So you are fairly new to me. I love your ministry. I love your bold stand for God. I think God is using you mightily. We didn't even know there was a conference here. I grew up in Palmyra. She lives right down the hill. Um, We believe in revival, harvest. It's all coming. And God moved all kinds of things. There were seven people ahead of us to even come here. And here we are. And I give God all the glory. I believe you use that word for my brother, David. I believe in the healing that's coming. And I am just so grateful to God that he did this. He brought us here. Amen. So, Amen. Praise God. Amen. Amen. Isn't that awesome? I know that we had several people on a waiting list and they thought... Well, we'll give it a shot. We don't know if we'll get to come. (laughs) But you got to come. Amen. Amen. 
Oh, you made me walk all the way up here. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> or you could just say it right there. I think we'll hear. Yeah. just so awesome. Thank you so much. What a privilege. What a great team. Amen. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. You know, I just want to say to the local folks, the folks that are from right here, I just want to say, Sometimes we look for things that are far away. I know many of you traveled in, and that's awesome just because of where we're located. But I think uh, for our local people, we need to start thinking stuff like this can happen in our town. And, that, and it's not just for, oh, look what happened with us. It's God bringing things close to us that we can take responsibility for. Amen. And we can pray for, you know, sometimes you can pray for something so long that you get in the mode of just praying for it, thinking of it as still a problem when God has already brought the solution right there. And now you just have to put the solution to work. Amen. And so I just want to encourage you, if you're local to Pennsylvania, doesn't matter what part, we need to pray for our state. We're in a pivotal position, very pivotal. And we need to be responsible as Christians. Amen. And don't lukewarm your Christianity to adjust to the world system. Make them adjust. Turn up the temperature a little bit where you are. Make it a little warm. They, if they, if they don't want Jesus, they got to start feeling what hell might be like. But <laughs> yeah. So I just want I just want to encourage you wherever you live. You know, many of you have flown in from other places. Don't just like. In your closet, be a Christian. Heat up where you are. Make it hot. When you walk in the room, people should know something shifted. And not in a negative direction. 
you know, <laughs> in the direction of power and authority. Amen. So this is who you are, women. This conference is called the overflow in God. We don't want to, you know, you overflow in a lot of stuff. I don't know if you think about this, <laughs> but women can overflow in a lot of stuff. So I think it's time we overflow in God. Amen. Just having oozing out of us. When people talk to us and the devil's been chatting with them, they might get a little ticked off at you because they were, they had another process, but then God came in and start talking. Amen. If you received the word, just cherish it and put it to use. Okay, don't think this was a dream. This actually happened. (laughs) Now, I have a big question, ladies. How many of you are coming tomorrow? Just so we know for our... um, And then then lift your other hand if you have a spouse or you're bringing somebody with you. All right, this is just so we know for our, you know, sanctuary setup. All right, all right, thank you guys. So tomorrow, our um, service starts at 10 a.m. And we're probably going to open the doors at about 9 So uh, we do want to um, have everything set up musically. It's going to be a little different because our worship team will be singing too. And their team will be singing. It's going to be very interesting on the stage. So so you might have to give us a little bit of time to set things up, right? So if you come at 9 o'clock and the doors aren't open, they'll get all upset and lose all the stuff you just learned, right? (laughs) But listen... Whatever atmosphere you came from, change it when you go back. You got some new stuff, didn't you? Amen. Speak to it. Don't let the devil get you ticked off at people. Come on. This is why we got to use the love of God. The love of God makes us be able to handle everybody and their problems and their attitudes and, you know. (laughs) Right? And we just kind of smooth it over with love. Smile at him a little, you know, give a little wink, let him cool off. And this is how we don't let the devil win, right? Because if we get mad at them too, then the devil won. Because he's mad at them. <laughs> Amen. Did you get something out of this conference? 